Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Testing, testing. Still way too loud. Can get Jamie? Can you please come get Allie? Okay, let's try the skin. You're listening to the Neurodivergent Nurse, and I'm your host, Jamie. I'm a registered nurse who has ADHD. On this podcast, we will talk all things ADHD. I'm really just beginning to learn about this diagnosis and how to navigate through it, but I am so excited to take you on this messy and raw journey with me so that we can learn together. So let's get started. Hello, my neurodivergent family. How's your week? My last seven days, it, um, it's been one. My grandfather died with, in the last six days, unexpectedly. My family and I have just been on a little bit of a roller coaster. I debated for a bit of not recording this week, but then, you know, I got to thinking. There are people who really look forward to whatever message I have to share. And honestly, I really enjoy talking to you. I enjoy the feedback. I enjoy even some disagreements. Speaking of disagreements, I'm not sure if you follow the Neurodivergent Nurse on Instagram, but there are a lot of times that I post about anxiety, especially social anxiety, because it really hits home to me. And Boy, oh boy, are people ready to tell me how I'm wrong about social anxiety. So I thought, you know what? What better to talk about than something I know really, really well? Social anxiety was something that I struggled with for so many years into my adulthood, decades before I was even diagnosed with ADHD. I was bullied a lot as a child growing up. I was a pretty masculine girl. I was a tomboy. I really loved sports. Still do. Roll Tide, by the way. What you may not know is as many as 80% of people with ADHD, they will have at least one other psychiatric condition in their lifetime. Just as untreated ADHD can lead to unnecessary problems in your everyday life, comorbid conditions can also cause a tremendous amount of harm in those with ADHD if it's left undiagnosed and untreated. Just in case you may not know what that means, comorbidities are more than one disorder in the same person. For example, if a person is diagnosed with both social anxiety disorder and major depressive disorder, they are just said to have comorbid, meaning coexisting, anxiety and depressive disorders. Now, there can also be comorbid conditions that include physical ailments too, like diabetes, cardiovascular disease, cancer, infectious diseases, etc., etc., etc. But I digress. Even though any anxiety disorder can coexist with ADHD, social anxiety disorder is one of the most common. 
learning the differences between the two conditions is important in the management and the treatment of both of them. According to Very Well Mind, it's entirely possible that anxiety disorders occur much more frequently in people with ADHD than they do in the general population. According to the National Comorbidity Survey Replication, 47% of adults with ADHD have an anxiety disorder. Approximately 30% have social anxiety disorder specifically. More research is needed to understand why ADHD and social anxiety disorder co-occur in some people and really not in others. Although experts don't know for certain why ADHD and social anxiety disorder tend to occur together, some of them think that the factors that play a role in ADHD, such as genetics, environmental toxins, or even premature birth, may also influence anxiety disorders. Still, others believe that ADHD symptoms themselves contribute to anxiety. Often, ADHD symptoms such as inattention, hyperactivity, impulsivity, put a person at a greater risk of being teased, bullied, or otherwise socially rejected. Fearing further rejection, many of us withdraw into ourselves, and that causes us to avoid any social setting that we may find threatening. Realistically, on the surface, social anxiety disorder and ADHD can sometimes look alike. I'm going to give you a couple of ways that symptoms of ADHD and social anxiety disorder overlap. The first one is difficulty socializing. People with social anxiety disorder struggle to make and maintain friendships due to fears about rejection. Someone with ADHD is likely to have low impulse control and trouble picking up on social cues, and that makes it pretty difficult to even sustain a friendship. The second one is inattention. A person with social anxiety disorder may seem tuned out, but they're really just distracted by worries. Those with ADHD are inattentive because of differences in their brain that affect their focus. The third one, trouble completing tasks. People with social anxiety disorder might become stuck on a task and be too anxious to ask for help. Those with ADHD might not turn in an assignment because of poor planning skills and forgetfulness. Unfortunately, some symptoms of social anxiety disorder can be misinterpreted as ADHD symptoms, and it isn't until outward behaviors such as weight loss, sleeplessness, or refusal to attend social settings that the social anxiety becomes more apparent. As a result, social anxiety disorder often goes undiagnosed in those who also have ADHD. I want to talk to you for a couple minutes about some of the common symptoms of social anxiety I think that this is very important because if you are listening and you think that any of the following characteristics describe you, you may want to talk to your prescriber, your therapist, or your primary care provider because untreated anxiety combined with isolation and low self-esteem, it can quickly lead to depression. So here's some common symptoms of social anxiety. The first one is feeling uncomfortable talking to people outside of your immediate family and or keeping conversations very short. My oh my, does that describe me to a T. At work, we had some nurse externs that would round with us and they would get to see what we did as the critical response team. Typically, there are two of us who are scheduled uh, per shift, which is fantastic. And the externs were going around with us and we round in the hospital Unfortunately, because of COVID, we're going to start just rounding by the phone again. It's pretty sad. But we round on all the floors in the hospital. I am the least social person on the team. And the extern and I would be standing over while 
one of my colleagues would be talking and chatting and having the same conversation with every single charged nurse that we came across in the entire hospital. And I remember telling the extern, it's like, I just can't do small talk. I, I am not good at chatting. Um, yeah, it makes me so incredibly uncomfortable. Okay, the next one is having trouble making or keeping friends. If this is a struggle of yours, don't forget there's a podcast episode about this under the Neurodivergent Nurse. So after you get finished listening to this one, go check it out. Listen to some of those tips and um, maybe you just might make a couple friends that last a little bit longer than normal. Next worrying for days or even weeks before an event. Mm -mm 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 -mm. I feel like all of these symptoms were written, meet your host, Jamie. Okay, really though, worrying for days or even weeks before an event. If I have to do a social event, like I went to the bridal lunch or whatever a week or so ago where my husband did not go in there with me and I had to sit by myself. The lead up to it was terrible. I could feel it in my chest. Thankfully, I have ways that I subdue my panic attacks before they get too out of control, but definitely, definitely, definitely worrying leading up to an event. The next one being intensely afraid other people will negatively judge you. Do you not worry about this with coworkers, people who don't know you, people who are walking down the street when you're walking in the opposite direction, the friends that you do consider, everyone, everyone. How about do you avoid experiences or places where social interaction will occur, like parties, classes, stores, restaurants, gyms, grocery stores, and the list can go on and on and on. I cheered in college in between classes um, because I was the captain of the cheerleading squad. Yay me. <laughs> um, I would tumble. I would, if I would have 30 minutes, I would take a change of clothes and I would just go practice trying to hit a new pass for 15, 20 minutes or so and then change. Well, I remember one particular time I was in the gym behind a stage because no one would see me there. Did my tumbling. I got kind of sweaty on this one because it was a big deal pass and super thirsty. And my next class is coming up here in a few minutes. We had a place called the Bear's Den. And the Bear's Den is where the students would congregate during classes. There were ping pong tables in there. There were drink machines. Um, the bookstore, I think, was also in that area. But people would just hang out. Tables, couches, all the cool things. And I went to get a water because I was so thirsty and I needed it for my next class. And I go up to the door and get ready to open it. Well, the door has glass panels where you can see in. I was frozen. I honestly could not make myself open the door because I just knew that everyone in that bear's den would turn and they would look at me and see me. And I just needed water that was right to the right of the door that I'm coming into. 
I couldn't make myself do it. I must have stood there with my hand on the door for maybe two or three minutes. That's a long time. And I just kept wishing and telling my body, just pull it, just just open the door, just make that one task, just do that one thing, and then you're going to be able to get it. But the fear and the anxiety that I had, I started crying and I went and I got in my car and I drove across town to a gas station to buy a bottle of water to come back for class. The next one, feeling very self-conscious around other people and in front of them. Okay, the one after that, feeling embarrassed to eat in front of others. This one actually mm -mm, doesn't really hit me with any uncomfortable memories. The last one I'm going to read is experiencing panic attacks, including nausea, shaking, or perspiration in social environments. One telltale sign of social anxiety is a response to a trigger or a situation that is above and beyond the actual threat of that situation. For example, an individual may be so convinced that everyone is looking at them standing in line for a muffin and a coffee that they don't even try to stay in order. In reality, no one's paying any attention. Many people with social anxiety know that their actions make no sense, but they feel unable to change them. They then feel badly about themselves and wish that they were different. But the fact is that you can manage social anxiety effectively with the right support if you really do want to change. Being honest and naming what's really going on improves your willingness to participate in solutions for a change. Tackling anxiety requires courage and it requires patience. It's a tough competitor who wants to keep you disarmed. To address social anxiety effectively, you must set a goal that's reasonable and within reach. I feel like I say that on all the tips that I share with you. Are we catching on to a theme here? Okay, so your goal must be reasonable and it must be within reach and be willing to experience some discomfort along the way. That's how you'll grow and develop the skills you need to build the social confidence and connections that you really desire. Let me just say, you cannot dismiss all of your social anxiety at one time. It serves a purpose, albeit misguided, but the purpose is to protect you from discomfort. Despite your best efforts to erase it, you'll fall flat because anxiety is a natural part of being human. Our goal is to reduce this influence on your life, which is much more realistic. We're going to talk about a couple of ways for you to improve your social anxiety. But before we do, I just want to tell you, if you are a woman, if you are a teenager, if you are female and you are struggling with social anxiety, my social anxiety was to the point that I couldn't look in the mirror without crying. I would go weeks without ever looking at my reflection because I saw myself through the eyes of those who hurt me, who made fun of me, who bullied me. It was a tough thing. And I was married in my 20s, living on a golf course, driving a BMW. I had a good life. But I didn't have a good view of who I was and how I was. My mom bought me a book one day called 
Do You Think I'm Beautiful by Angela Thompson. I don't know if you've picked up on any of the things that I have posted on social media or on any of the episodes that I've recorded for you to listen to, but I am a type of person that I don't care what you believe. I I care that you believe something and that makes me happy if it makes you happy. For those people who have no real beliefs of a higher power, atheist, agnostic, you know, I mean, I know agnostics believe that there's something, they just don't know what the thing, or whatever religion that you do practice, or don't. I respect who you are, and I respect what you believe, and what is valid and important to you, and in your core, is important to me. Okay, with that being said, I, however, am a Christian, and my mom bought me this book by this author, Angela Thompson, and the title of the book is Do You Think I'm Beautiful? I'm in my mid-twenties at this point, and she hands me the book one day, and she said, you always asked me this growing up, did I think that you were beautiful? And of course, my mom would say, of course you're beautiful. And I would retort back, well, you have to say that because you're my mom. This is the first thing that really began changing and shifting the person that I saw every day in the mirror to the point where I didn't have to go weeks without looking at myself. I was able to open a door of a car and get out where Previously, I would be stuck, crying, shaking, having difficulty breathing, and and not understanding why my hands weren't doing what I told it to do to just open the door, and that I felt so trapped inside my body, inside my own head, that I, I couldn't do something. I couldn't get out to go stand and watch my friend run in a race because I would be standing alone. So if you're a woman, a Christian woman, or even a younger girl, I would highly, highly, highly recommend that book to you if you enjoy reading or get it on Audible. Now I'm going to give you a couple of tips that is for anyone. The first one, pick one thing. Begin by looking for easy wins to build your sense of security and your self-esteem. What is the one thing you would like to do differently that's a big struggle? Focus on this goal over and over again and focus on it to summon the courage to expose yourself to what scares you. Find someone to support you in this process. You'll need an accountability partner. It can be a sibling, a parent, a therapist, even a coach. You don't have to do this alone and you really shouldn't. The second one is to start small. You're going to do this to avoid the initial discouragement. I'm going to need you to master a change that's within reach before taking on a bigger challenge. For example, if you are uncomfortable talking to new acquaintances, but want to make new friends, expecting yourself to message a classmate and then asking them to get a latte is way too much. Instead, think about the first very small step that you could make and ask someone you don't know a question or make a request. Perhaps you could contact a fellow student or coworker with a question and ask them how they're doing. Do this several times until it's easier. 
then you're likely to be ready for the next step, which just might be sharing that cup of coffee. Step number three is a step that I give out mm, with every single podcast, I feel like. Step number three is be kind to yourself. People with ADHD and social anxiety tend to be intensely self-critical. You have heard negative comments about how they've missed the mark and what they could do better for years. Over time, you begin to unintentionally adopt this dialogue. This negative self-talk is your worst enemy. When tackling a social anxiety, start by coming up with a phrase that you could say to yourself that is encouraging. Something like, you are stronger than you think. Write this down on your phone and on post-its and hang it in your room or in your car. This sounds corny, but you'll need to know what to say to counteract the negative voice when it tells you that you can't take a chance and do something different. Consider keeping a written journal that documents one daily success related to your challenge. Number four, practice basic mindfulness. When you are in a panic attack or lost in a shame spiral related to social anxiety, work to become aware of your physical body and your breathing. This is your ticket out of the spiral. When people are feeling anxious, their breathing often becomes very shallow as their adrenaline runs the show. This is our fight or flight response kicking in. In these instances, you've got to get grounded and slow down your energy. Try placing one hand on your chest and one on your belly. Breathe into both hands, noticing their weight, and imagine that with each breath, you're breathing in a soothing color. Do this for several minutes or use alternate nostril breathing from yoga for five rounds. As you take steps to address your anxiety, you may well experience discomfort and insecurity. Those are signals that you're moving in the right direction. There's also an episode on mindful meditation and mindfulness in a previous episode. So if you think that it may benefit you because it is a step, to make social anxiety better, check it out. Last one, number five, talk to someone every day. As much as you'd rather not, you've got to practice your social skills. Combat your natural tendency for isolation by having a three to five minute conversation with someone outside of your household at least three times a week. It can be done over Zoom or FaceTime, on the telephone or in person but you need to make real-time contact with someone that isn't over text messages, Snapchat, or Instagram. Make a list of people with whom you could talk, distant or local friends, cousins, siblings, those who have moved away, grandparents, etc. You cannot improve how you connect with someone or read their emotional state via text, and this is exactly the skill that you need to develop. If you aren't sure what to say, Think of some questions in advance or ask your accountability partner for some help and practice those prompts. As always, I definitely recommend that you talk to someone that understands ADHD, that they understand social anxiety disorder. It could be your primary care provider, a psychiatrist, a counselor. If your anxiety and ADHD are functioning independently of one another, your doctor may decide to treat both conditions simultaneously, or they may choose to treat whichever condition is causing you the most problems first before moving on to the other condition. However, if your doctor believes that your anxiety is being caused or heavily influenced by your ADHD, 
like with me, your doctor may take a different approach to treatment, such as medications. If your anxiety is the result of your ADHD, your doctor may decide to treat your ADHD first with medications as this may reduce your anxiety symptoms. Common medications used to treat ADHD include stimulants. Now, you hear stimulants. Uh, maybe you have a little red flag that goes off. All those stimulants primarily treat ADHD symptoms. As ADHD symptoms are controlled, you may also find some relief from your anxiety. In one study examining children and adolescents with ADHD and social anxiety disorder comorbidity, Ritalin was found to be associated with a significant improvement in both ADHD and the social anxiety symptoms. A similar study found the same improvements in adults using extended-release Ritalin. There's also your non-stimulants. Selective norepinephrine reuptake inhibitors, SNRIs, may target both ADHD and anxiety symptoms. A 2009 study showed that this medication improved both ADHD and comorbid social anxiety in adults. And we also have talk therapy. While medication has historically been the first line of treatment for ADHD, many people also benefit from non-medication therapies, and that is especially true of people who are living with an anxiety disorder. Approaches such as cognitive behavioral therapy can address many of the underlying challenges of both ADHD and social anxiety, as well as the complicated symptoms that overlap between them. The goal of cognitive behavioral therapy is to provide techniques and practice for managing anxiety so that a specific technique that your therapist might recommend is exposure therapy. It's a type of CBT most often used when treating social anxiety in which you and your therapist work together to gradually expose you to anxiety provoking situations so that you can develop healthy coping mechanisms. And over time, the situations elicit far less fear. In other types of CBT, you can learn and practice social skills and relaxation techniques. I hope you enjoyed this episode and I hope that you found something that can help you out if you suffer from social anxiety as well. It took me a lot of years before I ever met a psychiatrist to start figuring out how to change my life so that I could just exist in a world and be okay with my existence. So, like I said, I hope that, that something here helped you today. And if you know someone that you think that this would benefit them, be sure to send it to them. Send them the link. Tell them to listen to this show. And if you really enjoyed this show, be sure to rate it five stars and leave a great review because it helps other people find it and for them to get help also in the ways that they need and learn the tips and tricks that help our lives be just a little bit better. I hope that you have a really wonderful week. I'm leaving in a few days to go celebrate my birthday. So Patreons, if I have your address, you're getting a card from me getting a postcard maybe a little something extra too just to say hey i appreciate you and if you're not a patreon and you want to be you can go to patreon.com slash the neurodivergent nurse and you can sign up there there's two tiers the second tier is the tier that you are going to get the bonus exclusive episodes on there 
try to put out at least two a month. Um, and of course, you can listen to all the previously recorded ones on there as well. And every now and then, I will also include show notes and, and make things that go along with the episode. Like on the last episode, it was about impulsive spending. So I made an entire 30-day journal for just the Patreon. If that's something that you're interested in, head on over, check it out, and sign up. Become part of the family. And I hope you have a really wonderful week. And I can't wait to talk to you again.